it's time for the Everyman Well, Real Man Talk. Let's go. Time to grind, get inside your mind. Yeah, we working overtime. That's the only way to climb. We gon' make it in our prime. Signing on the dotted line, cashing checks left and right. That's the way I'm living life. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Everyman Podcast. Tonight we have a very special guest. We have Ryan Park, who is a public speaker. He is an expert on all things men's mental health, and we are very lucky to have Ryan with us tonight. Ryan, how are you? Thank you, Lewis. Yeah, I'm really, really good. Brilliant to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. No, we are, honestly, mate, we feel so lucky. As we've just said, we've just had a little bit of a a conversation there. The fact that there's four men on a Monday night having a conversation about men's health in general, both mental and physical, I think it's incredible. Um, Equally, to all listeners who who may not know who Ryan is, um, Ryan is a huge expert and some of his work, you, you can find it on uh, YouTube, for example, and your TED Talk's incredible. Um, yeah, super, super pleased to have you on tonight. And I'm sure there's going to be loads of topics and, and conversations within what we talk about tonight that our listeners will find incredibly, incredibly useful and pro- probably something that they, through listening to our podcast, will start to come to terms with it and start to think actually it's great to hear these types of conversations happening but your, your perspective on what we're going to talk about is one that I'm personally really interested in in learning around um, I've discussed previously on the podcast around my sort of struggles with suicide personally and people around me so yeah it's, it's definitely one that I'm super interested to to get into uh, before we do kick off though we always start generally just by saying how are we all? So, Christian, Dean, how are you both getting on? Want to go, Christian? Do you want me to go? I'm always going to speak when you ask us, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, unbelievable this week. Obviously, Father's Day. I'm lucky enough yeah. to have, uh, I know we've mentioned it a couple of times on the pod, but me and Lewis are both uh, fairly new fathers. Um, my son's 11 Not of the same child, I must add. Definitely could not be the, the same, same child. child could be the same child. No. Um, obviously, Father's Day, first experience with that. So that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's just took his first steps, starting to say dad. So loving life at the moment, got to be honest. Amazing. What about yourself, do you know? I, good weekend. I was um, I was an usher at one of my best friend's weddings. Um, Ooh, so that nice. was in Scotland. So I've had a heavy weekend on the, on the, on the drink. Um, ruined <laughs> me diet for the week. I, I was I was on point Monday to Friday, and then for Saturday Sunday I've just ruined it. So um, I really good though. Wouldn't wouldn't have changed it. it was worth it in the end. Um, just keen to get back on it now. Uh, keen to get into this conversation. I've seen just before. I've watched a few of the um, the YouTube videos and shorts from uh, Ryan today, um, and quite keen to unpack a little bit more of that. Yeah, and I think that's a great segue into to Ryan. <laughs> so. Uh, Ryan, do, do you mind just telling us a little bit about who you are, your background, uh, just for the listeners? Yeah, fantastic. I think Lewis, Chris, Dino, probably the best thing I can do is to start with where I'm coming from with all this and why mm. I'm so interested in male mental health, basically. Yeah. So in June 2019, I bumped into a lady who I hadn't seen in years, and I was really excited to hear the latest about her son because Jenny's son, Brad, was taller than me more muscular 
Some would say slightly better looking. I personally disagree <laughs> with that last point, but a, a strong argument could be made for the fact he was better looking than me. Mm. But the important thing to know is that Brad had a fast car, big house, and a great job. Plus, he was a dad with a loving wife. And I like to think that I was on the same trajectory as Brad, but I was just a couple of years behind because of the age difference. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the look on his mum's face and I realised I'd said something wrong. And she said, how's Brad? Ryan, you don't know. Brad's killed himself. Okay. That was a really big moment, big thing for me to hear at the time, because at the time I had two mm-hmm. big beliefs. Number one was I believed at the time that when men are successful, they will be happy. And Brad was the most successful man that I knew. Belief number two I had at the time was that the reason why men have worse mental health outcomes than women is because they just need to talk more, especially when it comes to issues like suicide that affect men more than women. Yet Brad was the most articulate man I knew. I found out after his death that two years he died he went to the doctor and he said help me I think I'm depressed he took the antidepressants he was prescribed he went to the talking therapy that he was referred to that was two kinds of talking therapy he went to and two months before he died his mum who lectures in mental health said Brad call me every night tell me how you feel now I'm not saying those things didn't help I know they would have helped but the thing that really stuck with me was that Brad did everything we tell men to do and yet he's still mm. not there. So Brad's mum, Jenny, said, Ryan, you should really learn about this because as you know, I've heard your other podcasts. I know Lewis, Chris, Dino, you guys know every five hours, four people die from suicide in the UK and Ireland. Three of them are men. And Jenny told me, Ryan, go away and learn about this. And I took what she said really seriously. So that's the sad part of the story over because what happened next was I set aside one day every week from June 2019 to December 2019 to learn everything I could about men's mental health. And Mm. what I found out was so positive and so useful. In fact, the very, very first day that I decided to research this, I didn't know where to start because I had no medical or mental health background. Mm -hmm. And so I started with the biggest picture. I started reading studies on life expectancy in men. And straight away, I found, according to one study, there's one day every year where a man's chances of having a heart attack jump up by 30%. And on the same day of the year, women's chance of having a heart attack go down significantly. Can you guess what day I'm talking about, guys? Good question. No, Yeah, I would say if I had to guess New Year's Day. Mm. It's a good guess. It's not New Year's Day. Daylight savings. When the oh. clocks go, go forward and you lose an yep. hour of sleep. That is exactly it. Is it? Wow. Wow. Well done, Dino. So you lose one hour of sleep. And what happens yep. now depends on whether you're male or female. In a man's body, missing one hour's sleep lowers his testosterone for days. And as testosterone goes down in a man's body, his chance of having a heart attack go up. So my next thought was how can that be? Because I was born in 1990. At that point, I was 29. Mm -hmm. And my whole life, I had never heard anything positive about testosterone. In fact, I remember when I was a kid, and there was a fight in my local pubs, 
my mum's friends would say, well, of course they ended up fighting. Their testosterone in the room was sky high. Yeah. So I thought, how can a hormone that causes fights in pubs also protect men from having a heart attack? Well, it turns out testosterone doesn't cause fights in pubs. Low testosterone is associated with aggression, not testosterone. But we can talk about that in a little bit. But I also found out that day that not only does testosterone protect a man's heart, but it also protects his mental health because men who are depressed have 30% less testosterone than the average man who's not depressed. So this is where it starts to get interesting, right? Because at the time in 2019, the biggest killer of men from the age of 18 to 45 was suicide. Now suicide is the biggest killer of men from 18 to 50 because it keeps growing. But at the time it was 18 to 45. Suicide is linked to depression. And depression in men is linked to low testosterone. The biggest killer of men from 45 to 60 at the time was heart disease. And heart disease, heart attack, heart failure in men are all linked to low testosterone. So I wondered what's the biggest killer of men after 60? That's cancer. The most likely cancer a man will get? Prostate. Yeah. And what is the single biggest indicator that man will develop prostate cancer? Low testosterone. Low testosterone. Yeah, correct. Wow. Bloody hell. So not only is testosterone so important for men's mental and physical health, but not only are we not told that, but there's actually Mm -hmm. a lot of Mm. negative PR around testosterone. Now, this is not a talk about testosterone. You know, there's so much that we've got to talk about, but this was just my first two days of research into men's mental health. Wow. And I see straight away that what we're being taught is not good for us because it completely misses the science. It's not evidence-based. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. I've, since doing this podcast, have tried to read. I feel like I've been reading the wrong things. I feel like I've tried to understand the societal reasons why men might be depressed or the emotional reasons why men might f- be struggling and the, the 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 real personal but not actually the science behind why the brain and maybe some of the chemical imbalances or like I am not that way inclined I'm not I don't have a medical background I understand things to a degree but I've never really tried to get into probably the root cause from the, the 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 fact perspective i've tried to understand people's stories i've tried to to get on a personal level of the conversation but actually that's such a such a simple way of putting it that it's actually something as simple as testosterone but you're so right that testosterone even to to me we're, we're all in our 30s so as a follically challenged man, you're told, well, you've got too much testosterone, hence you you lose your hair and all those sorts of things. But I've also experienced definitely times in my life where I felt depressed. So it's, and I know this is very much the start of the conversation, but it's something that has made me think, okay, there's, there's maybe a scientific reason why I've had the struggles mm. that I've had. And there's so much more now to, to explore outside of this podcast and hopefully throughout this conversation. There's really, And so what happened after I discovered this information is like I carried on learning in the same way, which is 
guys, I just assumed I knew nothing at all. I just asked yeah. big questions, read scientific papers, and just tried to connect the dots myself, basically. And so about six months in, I got to the point where I wasn't actually learning anything new. I was okay. basically finding that there's five dimensions to men's mental health, and we have to balance all five of them. Understanding testosterone is just a part of one of those dimensions, but there's four other big ones that we need to know about. And so yeah. I started to balance those five things in my own life. This doesn't need to become a story about me, but what happened really quickly is I was much happier and much healthier. And then other guys in my life started saying, hold on, Ryan, like what's going on? Well, I ended up coaching other men on how to balance these five things and share what they are. And one of the men in the first group that I was coaching, it was really interesting. When I met him, he was a brilliantly talented actor. He was depressed. He was having thoughts about suicide every day. And he hadn't been paid to work in two years. And you'll see when we go through this framework how I had a really good idea of what might help him. He did the things that we spoke about that we're going to speak about in the next hour every single day. By day three, he stopped having thoughts about suicide. By day 10, he was no longer depressed. At the end of the 12 weeks we worked together, not only was he no longer having thoughts about suicide, no longer depressed, but he had two job offers from Netflix, one mm. with a BBC, and he's now one of the main characters on a BBC drama that's on TV right now. Wow. wow. wow and when that it? happened, I like had a moment where I stepped back and I was like, what the hell is going on? How could this simple information transform his life that much? Like I thought what it had done for me was impressive, but what it did for him was like next level, right? Yeah, yeah. And what I'd really like to do, it's, a, it's science heavy, it's full on. We're going to have to keep the pace up. But Lewis, Chris, <laughs> if you guys are up for it, I think I would love to dive into these five dimensions of men's mental health and really, really thrash it out. You, you, you had me at Netflix. Let, we're, all, we're all aspiring to your Netflix, so let, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. For oh, sure, yeah. for sure. Back when, yep, go, on, go ahead. It was um, actually funny enough what you said about the testosterone thing and before we just go on to the next section. It is it is strange how, like, it is such a negative thing in, in, in sort of everyone's life, like, like Lewis said about the hair thing. But I've always... You know how you were saying about the heart attack situation. I've always associated, like, you know, when people take testosterone for the gym and stuff like that, and then they end up leading to have heart attacks. I always thought that would be the opposite, if that makes sense. So it's it's crazy to think that, like, maybe it's not just as uh, as simple as that, if that makes sense. But yeah, I'm so keen to hear the rest of it as well. It's really interesting because when we actually dive into testosterone in a bit more detail, which we'll do, we'll do shortly. You can actually see why the early studies thought that testosterone caused problems, but it's to do with a lack of understanding about how testosterone works. Mm. It, it works. It's not complicated, but you have to understand all the mechanisms behind it. And then once you do, it's like, oh yeah, okay. A lot of things just fall into place. That's so really useful to know. Amazing. Yeah. So five dimensions of men's mental health. Back when it was just a framework that I created for me. I decided that I want to have an acronym and I want to use an acronym that is both manly and memorable. Like I can't mm. sit down with you guys and say, oh yeah, there's five things you need to remember. And all you need is the acronym puppy, P-U-P-P-Y. Like I just didn't think that would float. So I chose a word that I think we need to reimagine. And the word is alpha, A-L-P-H-A. 
And what I'm going to share with you guys is what's now known to my clients as the alpha framework. So the first A in alpha stands for achieving recognition. What does that mean? Well, for most of human history, only a tiny number of men who lived ever had kids. In fact, we now know from gene records that a period about 8,000 years ago, for every 17 women that became mums, one man became a dad. Oh, wow. So he was a busy boy, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, uh... <laughs> I was going to say, I know there's a, a lot of studies, a lot of studies show that um, most living humans to date are related to people like either Genghis Khan or Charlemagne, like these huge figures in in um, hist- history. History, yeah. Thanks, Lewis. I was having a, a brain fart for a second there, but yeah, these big fi- figures in history. Apparently, like most population are actually related, especially figures like Somewhere. Genghis Khan, who just, I mean, he, he ruled most of the world, didn't he? At one point, and had kids with every every place he stopped. He had about five different kids. So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And this is exactly what achieving recognition is all about, which is for men and women, historically, society was very different. For men, all the prizes were at the top. So when you have this kind of ultra competitive environment, like the one humans came from thousands and thousands of years ago, when it's that competitive, whatever allows someone to pass on their genes is what gets favored in the next generation. So all of you guys, you come from a really long line of winners and so do your listeners because only the men who could achieve the recognition of their tribe and be seen as a leader would get to pass on their genes. Your Mm -hmm. genes come from the men who achieve recognition. So it's programmed into you to do the same. Now, something that lots of people don't know about men and mental health is only for men, not for women, As men climb social hierarchies, the level of serotonin in our brain goes up. And you'll probably hear a lot about serotonin nowadays because it's the happiness hormone, essentially. It makes us feel happy. It makes us feel connected. And there's also some studies that have found that you need a healthy level of serotonin in order to act in accordance with your goals. So what this means is there's a bit of a vicious cycle with men which is if you're not achieving recognition, if you're not achieving your goals, you probably have a low level of serotonin. And if that, if you have a low level of serotonin, then you can't act in accordance with your goals, which means you can't achieve goals and you can see how this works, right? Yeah. Now, when I started talking about this, people used to say to me, hold on a minute, Ryan, hold on a minute. If what you're saying is true and that men need some social status to have a healthy level of serotonin and low serotonin just so you know is associated with anxiety thoughts about suicide and not being able to achieve your goals are you saying that the men who have lower social status are more likely to die from suicide and the answer is absolutely so Mm -hmm. every 10 years in the uk the office for national statistics does a census takes all kinds of information about us One of the things it does is it then separates us into five groups. Group one is university educated professionals. And group five is people who are probably not working at the moment. 
and don't come from affluent areas. And the men in group five are 10 times more likely to die by suicide than the men in group one. There's two main theories for this. They were both proved wrong 11 years ago. Would you like to hear what they are? Yeah, yeah. I would love to. <laughs> I, I'm gripped as a listener here, not as a podcast <laughs> guest, guest host. So if anyone's listening and we're all silent, it's because we're really interested in the topic. <laughs> and, and always, you know, I'm not a university lecturer, so I always just jump in, yeah. you know, if you have questions and that. Um, yeah, the yeah. thing is, with these things is, because the way I tell it, I'm often sort of answering the questions sometimes as I go yeah, along. Yeah. Always, you know, always interrupt me. Uh, let's, you know, let's thrash it out. So, so here's the main theories as to why the men who have lower social status die at higher rates from suicide than the men at the top of society. Theory number one is that the men in group one, the men at the top of society, have access to much better mental health support than the men in group five. And they have the money so they can actually use it when they need it. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely yeah. true. But the Samaritans found 11 years ago that, yes, the men in group one have access to much better forms of support and they understand more about it and they have more money than the men in group five, but they are no more likely to use it than the men in group five. No. Yeah, I think that's right. I would so From my personal experience, yeah. I so I've had times in my life where I've had more money than uh, and less money. And when I've had more money, I almost had that f like feeling of in I was invincible. So even though I was struggling at times, I don't need help. I, I could have afforded to do things, but you just almost think, well, I'll just keep doing the things because I can afford to do good things. So I'll do them. I'll go on more holidays or I'll go on more nights out or whatever, instead of probably addressing what that root cause maybe is. So that definitely stands true. And when I reflect on my own experiences, do you think it's a pride thing as well, Lewis? Do you think like yeah. when it comes to like having more money as well, it, it, especially if you're in a big, I mean, I've never been it myself, so I can't really talk from personal experience, but I can imagine like, you know, if you're in a higher position in higher job, like paid roles, et cetera, you've got, uh, I don't want to say a face or, or fakeness to you, it. But you've like, got an appearance you, to, to keep. You've, you've got it. Yeah, exactly. And it, it may be like a sign of weakness in in. in in a sense of yeah. like the matter. Um, yeah. Which I so suppose right. is what we're trying to break down. So these are all really good questions, but the key thing to realize is that men in group five are 10 times more likely to die from suicide yeah. than the men in group one. And yeah. yet the men in group one don't use mental health support any yeah. more than the men in group five. So there's no reason to believe that by encouraging the men in group five to use the support that's available more, they'll become less likely to die from suicide. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, so it's not actually the support maybe by itself as a singular thing that makes the big impact. I presume they, it's your environment and your actions and so we're going to get there. Yeah, the key thing is there's no difference between the men who are most at risk of dying from suicide, the men who are at least at risk of dying from suicide in terms of the support they use. Mm -hmm. There's no significant difference. Then theory number two, which has also been disproved, is the men in group five are particularly bad at talking about their emotions and they don't do it often enough. That's absolutely true. Loads of studies have found that the men in group five don't talk about their emotions, but neither really do the men in group one. There isn't a big difference. There isn't any real significant difference in terms of how men discuss or how often they discuss their emotions based on whether they're high risk or low risk for dying from suicide. So basically... What I want to do here is just make sure that we're all clear that, yes, men talk about emotions a lot less than women do, 
But there isn't any evidence, according to the Samaritans 11 years ago, that convincing them to just talk on its own is going to have a big impact. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And then that sort of issue of the deaths from suicide in men being at the bottom of society, well, actually, it makes more sense when you start to look at it from a biological perspective, because we know that when men achieve recognition their brain gives them a dose of serotonin raises levels of serotonin serotonin is an antidepressant that makes you feel happy and so actually being where you want to be from a social status perspective is really important for men's mental health a sense of progress a sense of achievement on the flip side there is a downside to this as well which is that achieving recognition is so important for men because it's what our ancestors did to become our ancestors. Like, let's not mince words. If they hadn't have valued achieving recognition and done it, they would have been one of the 16 guys that nobody mated with. Mm-hmm. So they had to achieve recognition. We've inherited that. And the end result is any way that we can measure ourselves against other men becomes way too important to us. So examples of this are job title, salary, the speed of your car, the size of your house, even how many followers you have, how many people are listening to your podcast. These are the things Mm. that drive us because it's so rewarding for us because we get serotonin from it and women don't. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing how when you just reflect, though, on times of your own mental health going through phases and it all sounds so true to the places where I think my mind's been. So, yeah. Super interesting. So A is achieving recognition, and that is to do with the ability to basically be able to set goals that other people do recognize. Mm-hmm. It's about being seen as successful in other people's eyes. There's nothing wrong with that, except when that becomes your main focus, and then you are skipping, missing out on four other vital areas of male mental health. Are you with me so far? Do you, yes. Will you come back, Ryan, to some examples of those um like goals that maybe you set for um your clients for example yeah sure so a really good one is let's go back to that actor um when i'm when i met that actor one Mm -hmm. of the things that i thought is he was such a brilliant actor really really talented but all his goals to do with acting he was achieving none of them none whatsoever because Mm -hmm. the fact he wasn't actually getting paid to act and he was waiting for a big acting job So one of the things that we did is we re-engineered his goals a little bit. So rather than his goal being to get a job, I said, when you are successful, how will you spend your time every day? He said, I'll just act. I don't, I won't even need to be paid. I'll just act. (laughs) I said, well, how about you do that then? (laughs) So he started just (laughs) acting for free. 12 weeks later, massive job comes through, you know, over a hundred grand a year. So yeah. Well done. Yeah, well done here. He did I bet it. the serotonin yeah, yeah. went up then. <laughs> I don't think um I don't think me and Lou just playing football is gonna help much though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for us too. I'll be I'll be in the same position, running the line oh, when we flag. <laughs> and what I could see when I was talking to this guy is yeah, I could see he was talented, I could see he was passionate, but I could also see that because of the fact we've got this vicious circle, right? Which is you don't achieve recognition, low serotonin, you can't act in accordance with your goals. And he just couldn't get started. So we just set the smallest goal possible, just spend some time doing acting, and then bang, everything escalated from there. Yeah. 
So that's achievement recognition. The key thing to remember is as social status increases for men, the level of serotonin in their brain goes up. The L in alpha stands for looking after body and mind. And this is associated with testosterone. So do you remember at the beginning we were talking about the fact that all the biggest killers of men are in some way associated with low testosterone? So the next thing yeah. I wanted to know is what are the key ingredients for a healthy level of testosterone? Well, I'd always heard that the biggest thing is age, that testosterone goes down the more you age. And yes, that plays a part, but nowhere near as much as the four things that we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. The first factor is something we've already spoken about, which is if you miss one hour of sleep. Yeah, exactly right. So studies have found that missing one hour of sleep temporarily lowers a man's testosterone by the equivalent of 12 years of aging. Wow. Bloody hell. Hmm. It's I'm Joe, I'm you, baby. Tonight. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, I'll have to get the baby tall tonight. My, my son's it's moving out. over, guys. I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> See you in the morning. Up at six. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You wouldn't think yeah. an hour would make such a difference, would you really, when you think of it from, from such a, a small part of day-to-day -day life is such a big impact on your, on your, your mental well-being. It's a massive, massive impact. So I'm 33. If I miss one hour sleep tonight, tomorrow, I'll have the same level of testosterone as a 45-year-old man. And if I miss two hours sleep tomorrow, I'd have the same level of testosterone as a 57-year-old man. So age oh. is nowhere near as important as sleep. Hmm. I, yeah. I was listening to a, there's a guy I follow, uh, James Smith PT, and he just did a video on it and he was saying it's the, his it, caption was some well, something like the most legal performance enhancer that you can take. And it was sleep. Um, and it's something my whole life I've, I've always had the idea that I'll sleep until I'm, I'll sleep when I'm dead. But yep. now because of the shift of the um, whole, you know, trying to improve self-improvement and stuff like that. Sleep's the first one that you come across. So, you know, people like Matt Walker mm -hmm. and that talking about how important sleep is. So it's something that I'm a lot more conscious about now. I still struggle with it, wanting to get up early and get the amount of sleep. But yeah, I can yeah, understand why it's really important. The funny thing about thinking like I'll sleep when I'm dead is not sleeping will help you get dead quicker. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> the irony in that statement. Yeah, I know, I know. I used I to survive on four hours sleep. I don't know how I, I I don't know how I used to do it all the time. Like I think you've already told us, mate. It was when yeah. you were younger. It was drinking drugs. We've we've covered that episode. <laughs> yeah, that's not a different episode in itself. But do you that's do you know episode. actually? Funny enough, funny enough. Just to just to try and sort of back up if there's sort of with what what Ryan's saying there. At the time when you were having four hours, did did you feel worse mentally? If you think back to it, uh, I wasn't in I wasn't in nearly as good physical shape as I am now. Not not that I'm in great physical shape now, but I'm a lot better than what I was. Um but what about yeah, the mind? I, mind I wasn't too bad. I, I, I work was fine, stuff like that I was you know, performing and stuff. But what I'd find is I might have four hours sleep, five hours sleep most of the week, but then I'd have eighteen hours sleep on a weekend, you know, and just waste my whole my whole weekend. So um and that's another thing where the you know from listening there's a lot of sleep podcasts and stuff it's not necessary that you can actually catch up on sleep um so you know i think what ryan's saying probably getting your 78 hours is going to be a lot more important 
Um, but I feel a lot better for it now. I actually love going to sleep now. Like, I, I can't wait to go to bed most of the time. So, so it's a lot better. See you later then. <laughs> I was going to say, rubbing in, right? Rubbing, rubbing in, right? Don't you? <laughs> so, we've got sleep. The next biggest factor for your level of testosterone based on lifestyle. Do you want to have a guess? Alcohol. Diet. I was, I was going to say diet, diet or, or, or diet or exercise. Training. Ex training, training, yeah. Exercise. Was it exercise? So, oh. Yeah, alcohol, we're going to come to massive impact on testosterone, but we're going to do like the negatives in it in a bit. But the key ingredients yeah. to exercise, specifically, you know how, how much time the NHS recommend that we exercise for every week? Uh, most people don't really know. I is didn't it, know. Is it like five hours a week or something? So it's, it's 150, 150 minutes a week. So two and a half hours. What? It's yeah. not a lot, is it? That's embarrassingly low, isn't it? Yeah, that's sort of the minimum that you want to be getting for your physical and mental health. Mm -hmm. And that's what really makes a difference when it comes to testosterone in men is just getting out of that sedentary lifestyle. You know, this lifestyle where you sit down all day at work, you run a PC, you come home in the evenings, you sit down while you eat dinner, and then you Netflix and chill and go to sleep. That's the real problem that we have, that sedentary lifestyle. <laughs> And then we come on to something else that you guys mentioned, which is diet. So specifically homemade food. Men who eat homemade food have much healthier levels of testosterone than men who eat out, get junk food, eat restaurant foods. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Reason number one is sugar. Processed food is rammed full of sugar. Mm -hmm. And while your body's making insulin, it stops making testosterone. Mm. that's really interesting that we, we've talked about sugar a few times about how bad how bad it's it really is and loud. you don't realize it's so so easy to fall into the trap isn't it mm -hmm. yeah so a little bit of a, a hack really is rather than putting sugar on things when you want it to be sweeter put cinnamon on mm. it's I an antioxidant it speeds up really your metabolism. yeah and it's mm. just as sweet and it's not addictive Mm. Yeah, I've got a problem with sugar. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I mean, one of the reasons I was at my lowest is because I actually, without knowing it, was diabetic. Um, and I think that was just oh. pure sugar on everything, like you said, processed food, um, massive weight gains, lack of sleep. So mm -hmm. it kind of does all tie into. You know, you look back and you think, I wasn't really looking after myself. Like, how was I expecting to? To be mentally okay, if that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. So exercise as well. Exercise has been found to make your insulin stronger in a way. It makes you more sensitive to insulin. So it, you know, obviously you guys know I'm not a doctor, right? I'm a coach. So yeah. take that with a pinch of salt. But my understanding is that exercise can help to sort of reverse the process of becoming diabetic. Uh, and there's, there's, that's not my opinion. There's lots of like research on that. No, that's Jack. A hundred percent fact. Because um, as most of the boys here know, for me, uh, I did a lot of weight loss and a lot of exercise and a lot more sort of healthy eating. And my di like diabetic levels went from through the roof to to pretty much fixing themselves in a way. So, and do you mind asking me asking how that's actually going? Because the last time we spoke, <coughs> you were five stone really down. You have yeah, been on holiday right. since. 
Where's that? Yeah, I did put Where's I did put next? quite a bit on on holiday. I put about ten or eleven pounds. I can't remember how much it was, but yeah. Um, last week was my first week back on it, and I lost another four pounds. So I'm still technically what eleven, ten, nine, eight, six, plus seven, I'm like seven seven pounds up uh, from when I went on holiday. But I'm still four and a four and a bit stone down altogether. So well done, mate. Holidays are the time to do get it. Though, there. Isn't it? Like, oh, if you're going to do it, do it when you're on holiday and then just get the back pro- on it when you get home. I don't want to digress too much, but the problem is, it's just getting back on it, isn't it? I don't know how much mm. all, all well, I know how much you two lads, but Ryan, I don't know how much you've sort of uh, look at your diet side of things, but I feel like diet's probably one of the hardest, harder things I ever have to experience. I'm just a nightmare when it comes to it. You look like you're in fit shape though, so I don't, I don't know if you've, yeah. you've got that issue. Oh, thank you very much. Well, um, you've done amazingly well, Chris. Just so you know. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. <laughs> yeah, uh, diet. I don't seem to struggle with too much. Uh, what? No, you don't. It's uh, it, it it depends where you get your dopamine from. Wherever you get your dopamine from, that's the thing that you want, right? So mm, it yeah. takes ages to rewire that mechanism to stop craving things and stop jumping in things. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's a whole other conversation, right? And that's a good one. <laughs> exactly. <have. laughs> we've got our sleep, we've got our exercise, yeah. we've got our diet. Another reason why processed food lowers testosterone in men is it's full of chemicals. And some of those chemicals, especially pesticides, look like estrogen to your body. Hmm. So if your body thinks it's receiving the message of estrogen, it's going to make less testosterone. Okay. So key thing with diet is you got to eat homemade food if you want a healthy level of testosterone. If you don't know what it is, basically don't eat it if you can't make it yourself. I tell you, sorry, just to jump in there, just one minute, just things I've realized is like when I make my own home cooked food, the portion sizes for the amount of calories, I couldn't eat all of that in a day. Like I make the shepherd's pie. And like that full shepherd's pie is like 2,000 calories, but I couldn't eat it. And they're laughing because I talk about me shepherd's pie all the time. <laughs> but, uh, Monday to Friday, yeah, every week he has shepherd's pie. Every single day for weeks. <laughs> That's all he But eats. I love it. But, um, you know, like, but you can go to McDonald's and you can have two and a half thousand calories in a minute. And then you, you stop going again. So the home cooked food alongside that is, is, is a massive one as well. I saw an analysis of uh, McDonald's French fries the other day. Do you know how many ingredients there are in McDonald's French fries? Probably if it's not just chips and salt, I'm not going to be surprised. Oh, no. There are 17 ingredients in McDonald's French fries. Ooh. That's disgusting, isn't it? It's just It should just be potato and salt. should be oil and oil. <laughs> and oil, I think. And some oil and oil? I was going to say, where's the potato like? <laughs> That's that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So that is, that is just food. disgusting. Yeah. And and that's what's going into our bodies all the time, and it has a big impact on our body's ability to, to function. And making testosterone is just one of the things that suffers. And then we've got a fourth thing. So even if you've got your sleep, you've got your exercise, you've got your diet sorted, we still need what is coming in through Dino's window right now. Sunlight. Sunlight. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah we, your neighbor no sunlight (laughs) (laughs) so from sunshine we get vitamin d which is a really key ingredient for creating testosterone 
And so when I first saw that list of things that men need for a healthy level of testosterone, sleep, exercise, diet, and sunshine, I remember thinking, oh, crap. Because I knew Brad, the guy from my story. And yes, he did everything he was told by his doctor, by his counsellor, all the advice, he took it. But do you know what? I know he was working so hard that sleep, exercise, diet, and sunshine just weren't on his list of priorities. And I realized that actually yeah. to want to be a man is something that kills a lot of men. Hmm. Now, so far, when it comes to testosterone, we've been talking just about baseline testosterone, which is the level of testosterone you have in your blood at any time based on your lifestyle. But there's another element to testosterone, which is, do you guys know any men who feel down or angry when their football team loses? Yeah, all of us. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a to be fair, Yeah, to be fair, as Newcastle fans this season, with Job and Dean wearing the, the their shirts tonight, um, we haven't really experienced that for a while this year. We've had quite a good season. So that wasn't planned either, us, by the way. Yeah, if you if you <laughs> asked us pre last season, that was pretty much our life every single week. Yeah, mm. struggling. So, it, and it. It has a massive impact, doesn't it? Well, I'm not yeah. only going to tell you why that happens, but I'm actually going to tell you how you can use that to your advantage to improve your mental and physical health. You don't need to stop caring about football. Not that you could, but I'm actually <laughs> going to, I'm going to, we're going to turn it into a weapon to help your performance and your concentration, right? So, so far, we've been talking about baseline testosterone, but testosterone isn't static. It's like insulin. It goes up whenever it's you need it. Yep, exactly. Now, one of the things that that sort of mechanism of testosterone going up when you need it, we're going to call it dynamic testosterone. No one's given it a name that I can tell. So screw it. I need to give it a name. So I'll just call it dynamic testosterone. So if we look at like the earliest studies about this form of testosterone were like in monkeys, rhesus macaques, which are little monkeys, big tails. And what they found is if there's two male monkeys, and they both see one prize. Let's say two male monkeys see one banana. Not being stereotypical to monkeys, but I understand they like bananas. So let's just go with it. What happens instantly... Sorry to all the monkeys that are listening to the podcast yeah, who were yeah. offended by the banana comment. Yeah, and, and, and also other foods are available. We're not endorsing bananas. We're just... <laughs> exactly. There we go. Affiliate link below. Yeah. <laughs> so... So what happens when these two monkeys spot one prize, like one banana, is the testosterone levels in both male monkeys instantly jumps up by three, four or five times. What happens next depends on the outcome. Let's say one monkey's a little bit bigger. He flashes his big teeth and the little monkey goes, screw that, it's not worth it, and runs away. The testosterone in the big monkey instantly jumps up a further 20%. So he's riding a wave. The testosterone in the monkey who lost will instantly plummet 90%. Wow. So it will now be well below baseline. And what that monkey does, that monkey with low testosterone, is he separates himself from the group and he won't come back even to eat. He's basically a depressed monkey. So they were like our earliest studies about this form of testosterone is that it reacts instantly to winning and losing and to challenges. And then scientists started studying uh, tennis players, male tennis players. And what they found is 
two days before the game in a knockout tennis tournament based on levels of testosterone. Morning of the match, massively increased levels of testosterone, not dissimilar to the monkeys. And then after the game, they could tell with 100% accuracy which man had won and which man had lost because the winner had a further boost and the loser had a massive drop in testosterone. And so have you ever seen that stereotypical image of a male tennis player smashing his racket in frustration? John McEnroe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has he just won or just lost when he's smashing his racket? Lost. Always just lost, isn't it? Yeah. And this is when scientists realise that testosterone isn't associated with aggression. Low testosterone is associated with aggression. No one wins the point, wins the match, and then smashes their racket in frustration, do they? No, you're right. So following the study with tennis players, they then decided to follow chess players. They found exactly the same things. You don't even need to get up off your seat. You still go through the same emotional roller coaster when you win or lose. They found some interesting things as well, which is in tennis, the man who won the first set won the whole game 60% of the time. Mm -hmm. Now that's really interesting because that doesn't happen in female sports, but it happens in male sports. In fact, in male sports, winning the first set is the biggest indicator of who's going to win the game. It's a more accurate predictor than how long you've been playing, how good you are, where you're seated in the world. So we can use this a lot in like coaching and in your own lives, because when you're setting goals for yourself, if you mm -hmm. set your goals small and you start to win early, your body will give you this boost of testosterone, improving your mm -hmm. concentration. Yeah. I've actually really noticed that in my own life in terms of, we'll even use the podcast, for example. We started off with no guests. But even just turning up and us talking to each other meant that there was this huge buzz and momentum was created for to keep talking, to keep talking. So how do we make it bigger? What can we do more? What else can we do? But actually, I could say that about being a new dad. Once I've mastered feeding him, for example, I then want to, how do I change him perfectly? How do I play with him? How can I read with him? It's, it's almost like you need to take that first step of action and then that sort of consistency allows you your brain to be maybe more creative or committed or determined it is a really powerful thing actually momentum and yeah that that's it's so true and i've ne really never reflected upon that but something straight away as soon as you were talking there i was thinking wow that's happened so many times in my life where i've gone in with not huge expectations but i've started something and been really surprised at how successful or what the outcomes have, have become from actually just doing something and turning up regularly. Yeah, absolutely. It's massive, isn't it? And, it, and it's yeah. so well found. It's actually referred to as the winner effect, which is when you start to win, you see yourself as a winner, and then your body gives you this hormonal boost to improve your physical and mental health to make you win. Yeah. I think and it's then, why um, a lot of the you know low carb diets go well. A lot of people lose a lot of weight on the low carb diets because when you drop your carbs out, you drop a lot of water weight at the start, so you buy into the diet, and a lot of people hammer it. Um, and then when they come off the diet, the water weight goes back on the, the revert back. But um, yeah, I, 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 I'm part of a thing called Man v Fat, which is for um, fat people that want to play football, and all the guys in there are like 
or I want to lose 20 kilos. And I'm like, you don't want to lose 20 kilos. You just want to lose one and then the next one and then the next one. And I think so, so, so much of it, we're focused on the end goal, which is just mm-hmm. one goal that we've got, which is so far away that when you have these blips, you sort of fall fall off, off the bandwagon and then, you know, you forget about it. Whereas losing one kilo, then another and another and another, you know, like you're saying, them small goals that sort of positively reinforces you. And it's probably the testosterone, as you're saying, um, that, that's doing that as well, you know. So it's really interesting and, and valid point, mm-hmm. I think. Well, it's little wins, yeah. isn't it, Dino, in a way, isn't it? Each mm, each, each kilo is a, is a little win. Instead of it being yeah. one win at the end, you're getting 20 wins. It makes me think back a little bit to um, when we spoke, spoke to Tim when he was talking around um, the idea of sort of your determination not to eat unhealthy food, for example. And he was saying, just don't just don't buy it in because our willpower isn't strong enough. Yeah. No, not many people's willpower is strong enough to lose 20 kilograms. If you yeah. try going on a diet and don't weigh yourself till you've lost 20 kilograms, you're probably never going to lose 20 kilograms. Mm-hmm. What you have to do is take things in in those moments of, okay, how do I lose a pound? Well done, I've lost a pound. Okay, that works. Maybe I just replicate and improve and make that happen. 100%. So yeah, that, that's really interesting. There's all, there's also something really deeper going on, which is the way that your body works out whether something is rewarding is how much dopamine you get from it. Yeah. Mm. And you know, when you set bigger goals, what you're doing is delaying the payoff, which means yeah. that the longer you work towards that goal without payoff, the more your body learns that that is an unrewarding thing. <laughs> and there's like this, there's this scale basically of like pursue or motivation, whatever you want to call it. And at one end of the spectrum, we have procrastination, which is your body oh. has learned that this is not rewarding <laughs> because of the amount of dopamine that you get when you're not doing that thing. So, yeah. for example, you know, <clears throat> going to a party, if when you're at a party, if you're an extrovert and you've got to go home and do your taxes, you're not like, can't wait to get home. You'll stay at the party for as long as you can. This is your body's yeah. way of protecting you to do rewarding things, right? And then at yeah. the opposite end of the spectrum to procrastination is addiction, mm-hmm. which is you're not motivated to put it off. You're motivated to act. In fact, you're so motivated to act. Your body gets so much dopamine from this particular thing that you can't enjoy other things as much. It's a bit of an oversimplification, but that is how the dopamine system works, basically. Yeah, yeah. Me, me and Dean have spoken. So me and Dean run fairly regularly on a morning. It's usually at least once or twice a week together, and um, we were so we're both sort of exploring the idea that we may have ADHD, and and that's because our brain. And it, this is really interesting. Being honest, this is giving me answers to mm. questions that I haven't even asked myself yet. But in terms of, I am someone who's all in. For example, whatever I do. So Christian me and Christian used to work in the same team in a job a few years ago. Um, and we both worked for the same business and I progressed a bit in this business since being here. And, Christian um, <laughs> no, 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 it's not that Christian did it. It's not. Rubbing no, but it we, in, eh? we spoke, no, but we spoke about this fairly recently, didn't we? Where you were saying, but Lewis, yeah, like yeah. you were just so full on, full on, full on. And I'm like that with everything in life. I've never I seen think anything I have, like it. I think I have, an addiction to the dopamine hits that my body gives me and you've said it all at the start of that idea of 
trying to achieve things, trying to do more. But actually, <coughs> because my brain works in that way, I really struggle then. The other areas of my life just seem to drop. Yeah. So yeah. I struggle then to be a really good partner, good dad, a good friend. Um, my work, if my work's going really good, the, I, and I always struggle with that sort of internal battle of how do I be good at everything? Well, how do I balance everything? Because I'm all in. So I, then because I'm all in, everything else naturally falls away. And that's the challenge that I face generally every single day, <laughs> m- multiple times throughout the day in my life. So there's a part of this framework that we're going to look at what are the actual neurological differences between introverted people and extroverted people. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you're, t- uh, people would disagree with me on this, but like extreme extroversion is ADHD. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and we'll, we'll kind of look at that in more detail. And it might sound crazy at the moment, but you'll see why I'm saying it when I explain what extroversion is in your brain and what ADHD is in your brain. So, yeah, I think that'll be really interesting. Right. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 you go, Chris. I was just saying on the subject of like highs and lows and stuff like that, I, I know we've been discussing highs, 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 like, oh, I really get the, the, the kick of testosterone and the, the dopamine on the highs. How do you find it affects the lows? Like, I'm just giving an example here. Let's say you've had devastating news. A family member passes away or you find out you've got some sort of long-term illness or some sort of diagnosed with a, a, an illness that might sort of give you a limited time or et cetera. Is that going to correlate with, well, well, surely it must correlate with testosterone, spike, like dips and spikes, et cetera, and, and how you feel from that perspective? How do you manage that if, if that is... Yeah. So it's it's a really, really good question. So what we want to look for is like, what is the most effective way of dealing with stress and anxiety, really? You know, Mm -hmm. because, yeah, one of the things you mentioned is like knowing you're not going to live very long is also like existential despair. So, you know, that's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. Um, So what we want to do is we want to look at like what are the best treatments basically for stress and anxiety. And, And this year in February, um, a meta-analysis came out, a massive study that looked at how 130,000 adults recovered from stress, depression, and anxiety. And it found that, so three things really helped. They were medication. And of course, like, you know, we're talking about antidepressants here, which I don't want to be seen that I'm uh, advertising for, but it was included in the study. So antidepressants yeah. was in there um, and other kind of anxiety relieving uh, medications. Talking therapy was in there. Uh, The most effective one was found to be cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. But exercise was one and a half times more effective than CBT and one and a half times more effective than medication. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, the benefits of exercise actually stretch throughout every dimension of the alpha framework. It's great for serotonin, great for testosterone, great for dopamine. And so especially when we get onto like how dopamine works, which we'll do shortly. It just doesn't make any sense if we talk about it now, because it's a bit more complicated, then you can actually mm-hmm. see why exercise is so good for helping us function with challenges in our life. Yeah. Being honest, my, my whole life is better when I'm exercising and my life is really crap or it feels really crap when I'm not. And I've almost found this, this love for, and I, throughout my whole life I've played sport and I've never really liked going for a run um but I've really fell in love recently I'm recently turned 30 last year and since 
since turning 30, that idea of just going out and running for an hour, two hours, whatever, I've almost found like a peace with it where I come home and no matter how bad my day is, it's not actually that bad in terms of my son, whatever, like crying, not very well, or I'm at work and stresses at work and it's really challenging and things. Nothing actually really seems that bad. It's almost like the, I call it the dopamine and that's how I've always described it over this past year. It almost gives me a baseline throughout the day to just almost ride. It never seems to go below where sort of my, my standard state is because I've got that covered. And if I have a day where I don't exercise, so today, for example, I haven't exercised and I felt myself being a little bit more agitated throughout the day, almost like, oh, I need to do something. I need to get out and be busy. Um, so yeah, definitely more interested in in how, if you can't always exercise, what other things you can maybe do yeah. to keep your, your dopamine higher. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So exercise is the single most powerful thing for dealing with stress, yeah. anxiety, and depression. Um, and yeah, I mean, what else can you do? The, the trouble is not exercising leads to so many challenges. Like it has yeah. a negative effect on serotonin, testosterone, dopamine. It really challenges everything that's happening in your mental health. So yeah. it's more. a big one. I yeah, eat more as well. Do. Yeah, you're right. You do yeah, my diet goes so bad when I'm not exercising like so yeah. bad. I think it was the opposite, wouldn't you? You think having all that exercise would make you hungrier, but it, it doesn't. I'm not hungry if I like after I play football, I don't want to eat flowers. Like, just mm. doesn't bother us. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like. Sorry, Ryan, go ahead. No, no, you go, Chris. You go. I was just going to say, it sounds like a lot of it's to do with like trying to have a balance of all those five that you've been talking about, and like how how do you work out with how busy life is now? And you know, as you were saying, it's so easy to just put Netflix on after you get back from work. You've been in work all day sitting down. Like we're almost programmed in a way that we've got phones, we're glued to them. We've got TVs, we're glued to them. Works all now on computers for the most part. I know obviously a lot of people can do manual labor, but a lot of people these days do office-based jobs. It sounds like the world in itself is programmed to kind of do the opposite of, of what helps you. And how do you find that you coach people into fitting that into day-to-day life so it's a really really good question you're entirely right and it's compounded by the fact that it's sweeping statement but you know hopefully i'm entitled to make sweeping statements from time to time you are of course yeah on the whole women understand balance men do not because our ancestors had to focus on achieving recognition in order to become our ancestors so we don't balance we prioritize and actually the biggest challenge for self-improvement is people perpetuating the idea that we our thoughts become our actions when actually it's the other way around when i meet people and when i meet guys and they say ryan all i think about is my work i say yes because all you do is work and they go how do you know that if i could just change my thoughts maybe i could break free no 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 if you spend all your time at work all you'll think about is work if you spend half your time at work half your thoughts will be about work and, and actually, it's very positive to realize that your thoughts follow your actions because you can break free of bad thoughts by changing your actions. The, mm-hmm. the current narrative that change your thoughts and it changes your actions is actually very hard for people to make changes in their life because how do you actually change your thoughts? Oh, you can't. They creep mm. up on you, don't they? Yeah. They certainly do. 
So what the I'd... more you try and forget about it, the worse it is. The more you think about <laughs> yeah. it. Uh... So what yeah. we what we can do is if we if I share with you the other dimensions, and then we can look at like how you balance. Right? We'd yeah. love so that. We... Yeah, go for it. The thing that we just mentioned was that testosterone going up and down during games, right? Like tennis matches, chess matches. But there's another thing that was amazing. 1994 World Cup final, Brazil, Italy. Scientists went to bars where people were watching the football game on TV, Brazil fans and Italy fans. 15 to 20 minutes before the game, based on levels of testosterone, mid-game, massively elevated levels of testosterone. Immediately after the game, well, 15 minutes after the game, Brazil fans had really high levels of testosterone. Italy fans, really low levels of testosterone. Guess who won? Brazil. Exactly. Yeah, that's Brazil. an easy question. Yep. So the, why is this useful? What's happening when you watch your football team lose is you're going through the same emotional roller coaster as if you were playing and you were losing. <laughs> testosterone keeps men calm. So when you lose... Your testosterone drops, leaving you with all the stress hormones, and that makes you irritable, depressed. It basically makes you angry. It makes you pissed off. Mm -hmm. So how do you use that? Well, just watching Brazil win raised the testosterone of those men. So years ago, I was working with a guy, and after his football team lost, he used to be so depressed that he couldn't make it to the gym on time Monday morning. He couldn't get to work on time, and he used to fall out with his missus because he was always grumpy. And then I took him through this science and he went, hold on a minute. If I just watched my football team win more often, I'd have more testosterone and I'd be happier. I said, why don't you give it a go? A week later, I get a text from his girlfriend and she says, I don't know what you're doing with my boyfriend, but he's a new man. Please keep doing it. All he was doing was when his football team lost, going on YouTube and watching old highlights reels of the winning matches that's all he was doing that's class and this Smart is like, how the, the brain can be tricked yeah this is like the crux of what i love about men's health right which is before mm. he was talking to me he went to a counselor and the counselor said you need to stop caring about football and i think no 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 that's don't. just never gonna happen is it <laughs> it's like someone says stop caring about your kids so yeah so then like then he came Easier to me and i football. like yeah. And I said, look, don't stop caring. Use this to your advantage. Like this is something you can weaponize and use in your life. So if you're going to go on stage, if you've got a big meeting at work, if you're going to the gym before you go, watch a video of your football team winning. And so the that's looking after body and mind is things you can do the exercise, the sleep, the diet to increase testosterone, watch your football team win. And that's much better for your mental and physical health. Yeah. Then... The P in alpha is protecting the cave. So I found out a couple of years ago that men who have problem debt are three times more likely to die by suicide than men who don't. And there's an amazing intervention, right? It happened in Bristol before lockdown. And the local authorities there, male suicide was so high, the local authorities held up their hands and said, we don't know what's going on. And an organization called Second Step intervened could say stepped in but let's not do that they intervened <laughs> and they said give us a cohort of men we will give them problem solving workshops and financial skills training and six months after the end of that program 
the number of men in the group still having thoughts of suicide had halved. And when I read that, I thought that was a typo because that is so effective. It's not a typo. Mm -hmm. It's just massively effective. And yet it wasn't traditional talk therapy. It was problem solving and financial skills. Mm -hmm. So protecting the cave is about having financial skills and another aspect as well, which is intimate partner relationships. So men who are recently separated are seven times more likely to die by suicide than their mates who are in a relationship. And this is a bit oh, of a yeah. challenge because the single biggest cause of relationship breakdown is communication breakdown. And there's a problem when it comes to straight relationships, right? Which is you're male, she's female. The problem comes from a hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin is what's released when you cuddle, hold hands, talk about your problems, have sex. And in women, oxytocin lowers stress. That means talking, cuddling, holding hands, if you're female, makes you feel less stress. But oxytocin doesn't lower stress in men. This means cuddling, talking, holding hands on its own does not make you feel less stressed. But for our partners, it makes them feel a lot less stressed. And so something I come across a lot is where guys have been down for a while, feeling down for a while, and their partners and their friends say, you've just got to talk. So they start talking. The doctor says, you've just got to talk. Counselor says, you've just got to talk. And the end result is when they don't feel better, they think there must be something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just they're male and talking alone is not a solution. Talking about solutions and then going and doing it. Now we're talking. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I feel when I look at, and, and the only way I can probably articulate is to keep talking about myself. So apologies. And I'm waiting for some quip from Job of, yeah, we're used to it. But I think when I look at, um, again, some of the problems in my life, where I've had a therapy session where it's just talk about how you feel, whilst, whilst there is almost an element of stress relieved, almost like you've taken some weight off, you very quickly go back to it because I don't need to talk. I need a solution or I need a path or I need a vision on how I get past the the stress in my head. Um, and every if I've learned anything from this podcast and what, nearly 20 episodes that we've done so far, it's been around the fact that you have to take action. So once I started taking action, whether that was talking and putting into practice what people have said or it was exercising more or taking better care of my diet, going to bed earlier, those sorts of things that we've already discussed. I've massively felt a huge improvement in my own mental health. So yeah, I, I, I can attest to, again, what you're saying. This is such a relevant conversation for my life. And Ryan, this is honestly like gold for me. <laughs> oh, I'm really glad to hear it. A, a guy I coached a while ago, he put it so well, because I was really frustrated. I'd just been to assist suicide prevention training brilliant training i really really recommend it really good but i was the only man in the room and the conversations that were bouncing around were the women in the room their lived experience was if 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 i talk about it i feel better and i heard a couple of people say if we can just get these men to talk they'll feel better they don't realize they just need to talk and i actually i had like a tunnel vision moment because when i work with guys and i say look 
you know, you should, you should also be in therapy as well with working with me. And they'll often say the same thing, which is, I don't want to do therapy. I've done it before. And they just want to talk. They don't want to talk about solutions, right? Now, not all therapies like that, but to hear mental health professionals on a suicide prevention training course say men just need to talk when it's not evidence-based was really scary for me. And this guy I coached, mm. he, said, he said, Ryan, here's the thing. He said, talking about my emotions is the price I will pay for a solution. But when I talk mm. about my emotions and there's no solution at the end, I just paid a high price for nothing. Yeah, agreed. And like, I can't say it better than he said it. Mm. it's 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 completely true so i'm going to put christian on the spot slightly here because christian you've done a lot of talking therapies and i'm not saying anything out of turn we've spoke about this quite a lot so when ryan's saying things like that how does it make you feel (coughs) yeah i mean for for me personally i've I've always used cbt as, as a and i know this personally i've used it as almost a comfort blanket in a way um I mean, I've only recently just, I think I spoke about this on the last episode, I've recently just changed from CBT because my counsellor basically said, look, we've been doing CBT since you were 16 now. Um, I think there might be something a bit more deep-rooted. So I've switched to like an actual therapist who's sort of going backwards now. But it's kind of powerful what you say, Ryan, because I start to think myself, CBT's suppliers a solution in the moment but they're not like given as a long-term solution. Hence why I've been with them since I was 16. Um, And maybe that is something that I need to sort of sit and self-reflect on and say, well, well maybe can I look at the aspects of my life that potentially could make a bigger impact than talking about it? Because I have always been so so heavily focused on my feelings as opposed to my body, which it's definitely something I'll take away and definitely something I'll thank you for. I can, I can promise or you Or your that. feelings versus your actions. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, okay, I can't, I don't want to quote you badly, but when you were saying earlier about sort of, um, you can think about doing something as a, and then expecting it to happen as opposed to the action happening and then it being part of your thoughts. I think I've mm-hmm. always been the other way around. I've always thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll talk about my feelings and that that will make me feel better. It's like I'm expecting that to be the solution because I'm thinking it's going to be the solution. Um, so it, it definitely does strike true in a way and it kind of makes us reevaluate, sort of maybe maybe looking at uh, trying to be a bit more mind-focused from, a, from an action perspective. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. I, I think it's going to help us a lot. I think, um, you know, don't worry, I'm not saying you must do this instead of this. You can still do both things. Just my experience with male mental health is that, yes, talking is absolutely vital, but on its own, it's not sufficient. You know, like we were just protecting the cave, for example, specific things linked to, to death in men. It's relationship breakdown, financial breakdown. You know, these are, these are actual skills. This isn't an emotion. This is a, mm-hmm. this is the lack of a skill, basically. And that's yeah. kind of the difference, really, with male and female health is that mental health is that the, it's very, very practical. And there's um, 
uh, I, I was reading, I, I, you know, I know I keep throwing studies at you guys, but it's where like I read it and I learn it and then we can apply it to coaching, right? So there was a study done by the US Army. They took 50 veterans who used to have thoughts about suicide. 25 were women, 25 were men. The single most effective thing for the women in the group, the thing that got them out of being down, thinking about suicide and got them to a point where they were recovered was psychoeducational approaches. That means talking about emotions. That wasn't the most effective thing for the men. For the men, the most effective thing was taking steps in their life towards becoming their ideal self. And the more progress they saw, the more they closed the gap between the man they are and the man they want to be, the better their mental health. Mm. Yeah. So you it's mentioned- weird when we hear all these conversations and, and I'm talking about the episodes and some of the research that I've done, we are so similar as men. Like I've always felt like I'm the worst person in the world for some of the problems that I've had. And, and I'm sure we, we've, we've spoke about these things on, on other topics, whether it's you go out and you get too drunk or you, I don't know, you eat unhealthily or you're too focused on work. So you drop family life, all those sorts of things. But actually it's, it's amazing how as men that we all have so many similarities and even the solutions you're saying are probably where I'm at today and where my thinking is without ever having spoken to you or ever having read some of that research. I've just kind of got there without maybe reading some of the same things, but actually I've learned that through lived experience. So yeah, Mm. it's amazing how there's just not, there just doesn't seem to be a place where all of this really is. Cause as you said, it's very misleading. All of the, all of the things that are out there, how men can deal with their mental health is saying this direction, but actually what really works is that direction, but no one gets told to go in that way. We're all told to go in that direction. And that's maybe why so many men are struggling because they're all going, or being told to go in this direction because that's what works, but it doesn't. And it's, it's a bit like um, we spoke earlier about the fact that exercise is the most effective treatment for depression, right? Yeah. If you go to the doctor and say I'm depressed and they follow the guidelines from NICE, if it's moderate or severe depression, they should offer you antidepressants, the least dangerous ones are SSRIs, and they should refer you for talking therapy in the first instance, cognitive behavioral therapy. Now that's absolutely fine. But what that means is that guys who are reaching out for help are basically being offered option two and option three in terms of effectiveness and maybe have no knowledge whatsoever of option one. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that is, that's terrifying. Because I, I, I can attest the, the option two and three don't do anywhere near as much for my mental health as as an option one of exercise. I hear a lot of people say, oh, men aren't interested in mental health. Like when I say what I do, I say, oh, I share the science of mental health. Everyone goes, oh, that's great because men aren't interested in mental health. It's wrong. Men are massively interested in mental health. However, for men, mental health is goal setting in a sense of progress. Yeah. Mental health advice, generic mental health advice is not interested in the nuances of being a man. It's, yeah. the, it's the other way around. Men are really interested really in mental health. I have my coaching groups, my weekly Monday morning men's clubs, the challenges that I set for the guys that I coach, 
I can't stop them all from talking about mental health. But mental health for women is emotions. And for men, it's goal setting and achieving your goals. If you are achieving your goals, your mental health will be absolutely fine. And if you're not, there's very little you can do to have good mental health other than to get cracked again. Yeah. So, do you want me to take you through just the last remaining dimensions? They're not heavy on science. Yeah, that'd so be great. Yeah, yeah. Take ages. So the H in alpha stands for having adventures. Now, when I'm talking at like events, I always say like, hey guys, you know, it's Monday, right? While we're recording this, I'll say, what were you doing on Monday two weeks ago? And I see everyone's faces drop and they don't have a clue what they were doing, right? So why is that? How come most of our life we can't remember? Well, the answer is your brain uses an enormous amount of energy. And most of the energy that your brain uses goes into memory creation. So when you do something that you know how to do because you've done it before, your brain switches off memory creation. And as a result, as you get older, you get more competent. The more competent you get, the more time you spend in autopilot. And as you get older, life gets faster and faster and faster. Conversely, when you go to new places, meet new people and have new experiences, your brain gives you a dose of dopamine, which connects you to the moment. It motivates you. Some of that dopamine gets converted to a, a neurotransmitter. You don't need to remember this, but it's called noradrenaline. And that's the trigger for you to begin writing memories again. So when you go to new places and have adventures, your life slows back down. And I worked with a guy a couple of years ago. He was a US Marine, really cool job, right? And when I was talking to him, he said, I just feel like life's going so fast. Last five years has gone so fast. I said, when did you last take a holiday? He said, oh, it's not about that. I said, when did you last take a holiday? And he said, well, here's the thing, Ryan. We get 35 days annual leave a year in the Marines. You can only carry 70 forward. So after two years of no holiday, you lose all the holiday every year. And he said, it's a badge of honor to have 70 days carried forward every year. So I haven't taken a holiday in five years. And I noticed that a lot. I'd say around a third of the guys that I work with have not taken any holiday in a couple of years. So here's a trick. If you're one of the guys that doesn't take his holiday, because like I get it, you can't achieve recognition if the office realized they work well without you. Like I get it. But here's the thing, yeah. need holiday, otherwise your life will fly by. So you take your diary, hand it to your partner or someone you'd like to spend more time with and you just say to them, I've got 21 days of holiday left to take. I'd love to spend this time with you. Bang, problem solved, holiday booked. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, I was I was crap for years at taking holidays, like really, really bad. And then since my son's come, it's like, how much time can I have off? Yeah. <laughs> is, yeah, priorities have and, changed. And so, you know, I mentioned, we were talking earlier about like extroversion and what extroversion is and what ADHD is. Yeah. So scientists can tell by looking at a certain part of your brain how extroverted you are. What they're looking for is how sensitive you are to dopamine. So what dopamine does is it makes mammals interested in things outside of themselves. So if you're really sensitive to dopamine, then you have a lot of dopamine receptors and you're interested in things outside of yourself, you're an extrovert. And if you are not really sensitive to dopamine, you're not really interested in things outside of yourself. In fact, 
being around, uh, you know, being around lots of people actually drains you. So that's kind of the main difference. And people with ADHD have really low baseline levels of dopamine, which means those spikes, things you can do that spike dopamine, whether it is one night stands, chocolate, cocaine, listening to dance music or classical music. What, what people with ADHD symptoms end up doing is like filling their life, peppering their life with those dopamine raising things. Then mm. result is they have such a low baseline, they can't do mundane tasks. Mm. yeah i feel mine's more like the attention span and the the idea that if i go all in so i don't even know if i have adhd i'm like i say i've started very in the last five six weeks or something started the process um but yeah really interested in the whole science behind it to be honest i think there's a lot of there's a lot more to sort of understand about myself and reflect on it and then the last dimension is just able to serve it's the things that you do for other people basically and there's a lot of evidence that that's what's missing from the current mental health support is giving men a sense of feeling like they're doing something so yeah i know it's been mainly me talking i know it's been heavy on the science but yeah hopefully it was useful talking through these things with you I've loved it yeah. every second. I really have. It was almost like um, a lot of that. I listened to Huber, Andrew. We, we normally get into see you know evil, hear no evil, but I listened to a lot of Andrew Huberman on um, on YouTube, who's a neuroscientist. Yep. I don't know if you've heard much of his stuff, but he talks a lot about um, a lot of what you've talked about. You know um, about dopamine and testosterone and a lot. So um, it's really interesting to hear that as well. Actually, on the subject of hear no evil, see no evil, um, Lewis, do you want to let the guests know what this part of the section of the pod is? It's the final section before we wrap oh, up. Oh, yeah. We, we don't have Ethan here. So Ethan is normally our guy. And we definitely need to change that graphic. I don't think you've done your, your best work there, <laughs> Christian. Okay. Um, so, Ryan, what this part of the podcast is... Um, did you have the last bit to cover before we go into it, Ryan? Oh, I think we might have missed a tiny put bit. Him off early? Yeah, no, we so we've done able to serve. That's the the last thing, and that's the framework. So yeah, no matter who guys are, it's all about balancing those five things. Yeah, well, being honest, those things. I think there's so much more for us all to really go away and explore and listen and and learn about. For me personally, this has been hugely eye opening. Um, yeah, and is there anywhere where I can go and find more about those sort of five things and hmm. where I can sort of reflect on them? Or is that part of your coaching model that other people don't do? Or Yeah, so that the Alpha Framework, that is um, what I created a couple of years ago. It's what I use yeah. in my coaching. I use it with mental... I train mental health charities to use it as well. Uh, at yeah. the moment, the way that you can explore it in more detail is coming along to one of my talks or workshops I do yeah, want to mm-hmm. change that. I am working on getting a book out there, uh, but you know, it's not a particularly quick thing. I, I write it and then I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll just start again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The most well, if you, thing. yeah, go on. If I was you do say, get a, 
if you do get around writing the book, we will definitely have you on to talk about the book as well. That's uh... Oh, for sure. I feel like we're having... It's crazy that like an hour and 20 minutes have went by and I feel like we could still talk for another hour so and 20 fast. minutes. <laughs> yeah, like... yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, as, as far as the wrap-up, we, we do a section called Hear No Evil, See No Evil. So I think that would be the last kind of thing we want to yeah. touch. Is there any sort of book... Or it could be a podcast, it could be a film, something that you've recently read, listened to, seen, that sort of you would like to to push the listen- recommend listener listeners. towards, recommend in terms of that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's a really, really good question. Um, so I recently reread, uh, it's really good to help you protect in the cave. I recently reread Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Good one. Dad, get it. Have you read it? Yeah, got it, I. Yeah, oh, usually, all the, all usually Dino books. buys. Usually, Dino buys every single book that's recommended. Literally, every It's so simple. It's absolutely beautiful, and it's essential for men to protect their cave. And that is a guide on how to do it. Rich dad, yeah. poor dad. Right? I'll have to look. Have you not read it, then, Joby? Joby, it's very I'm good. Not, it's all about. Not. Yeah, I'll not give it away, but it, yeah, it's a it's a very profound okay. book. Um, it's one that I go back to every so often, actually. It's good. Really good. Amazing. I think that's a, a little hidden gem for us then. Um, anyone else got anything yeah. before we wrap up, boys? No, it was well, good. I've, me- I've learned loads. Flew over. Yeah, definitely. Ryan, I'll just say, incredible guest. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise, y- your experience as well. I think it was really um, inspiring to hear you talk about hearing about your friend who, who sadly um who, who who you lost obviously and i think the fact that you're doing some of the work that you're doing is such an interesting take on how men can approach their mental health versus some of the other sort of experiences and um types of help that is available and i can honestly say if i was in some of the situations i've been in previously I personally would have got a lot from what you've said because um, I've got a lot mm. from it and I'm in a different sort of phase of my life now. So I would absolutely encourage any listener who may be struggling uh, to, to reach out to Ryan. Um, Ryan, how can people actually contact you? How can they get in touch? Cue to plug any social channels or websites <laughs> or... Yep, let's, let's absolutely do it. So this is what I do. My job is sharing the science of male mental health through talks, workshops, and also my coaching program, which lasts 90 days and will teach you to use the alpha framework in your life. Best way to get in touch with me is themenscoach.co.uk. Yes, I'm on just about every social media as either at the men's coach or unfortunately on Instagram at the men's coach.co.uk at the men's coach. I'll get it one day. Yeah. I'll get it one day. Best thing to do though, come to the men's coach.co.uk and just contact me through there. Brilliant. Well, I've certainly gained a lot, so I, I can certainly thank you personally. Um, yeah, and I hopefully you will write that book and we'll have you back on. Cause I could easily have you for another, an hour and a half as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. On that note, gents, I hope you have a lovely night. All the listeners, I hope you have a lovely night, and we will wrap it up. Brilliant. Thank you.
Time to grind, get inside your mind. Yeah, we working overtime. That's the only way to climb. We gon' make it in our prime. Signing on the dotted line, cashing checks left and right. That's the way I'm living life.